Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Tonight, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kean Bexty. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show as well as all the other great TV-style shows too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support the Rebel without ever having to spend a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, she might be Time Magazine's Person of the Year, but do you think the media party is telling the entire story about Greta Thunberg, and more importantly, the people behind Greta Thunberg? Well, we sure don't, and that's why Key and Bexley went all the way to Sweden to get some answers and he's going to join me here to talk about his new mini-documentary, Greta Inc. It is must-viewing. And now here's something you don't see every day. A man who is apparently completely proficient in English, nevertheless demands that his trial be held in Swahili, but apparently the translator's English to Swahili translation was subpar. Who says so? None other than the guy who evidently has trouble understanding English, that's who. Sheila Gunn-Reed will try to make sense of it all. And finally, letters, we get your letters, we get them every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my visit to a vigil in Richmond Hill, Ontario last Friday that had numerous curious sidebars to it, like the MP for the area, Majid Johari, being AWOL. Then again, he supports the Mullahs in Tehran. And just wait until you see Conservative MP Leona Alislev trying to answer a question about her former colleague. <laughs> her response speaks volumes as to why the Andrew Scheer Conservatives failed to launch last October. Those are your Rebels, now let's round them up. Climate activist Greta Thunberg has returned to protest. Time magazine person of the year, the youngest in their history. Overwhelming support for uh, Greta Thunberg. At 16 years of age, she has become the face of the climate change fight. She's hijacking the news cycle through hashtags, viral moments. Taking on climate change head on, pulling no punches. Her passionate speeches have drawn attention all over the world. People are concerned that the premise of your school strike was never actually the innocent thing that it was. 
Did Reinshog accidentally run into you? Or was it orchestrated by your parents well beforehand? I'm allowed to do this. Where are we? Hong Kong? China? No, this is Sweden. So we been. Why are people who are critical of Greta not allowed to be anywhere near the action? Hey, what are you doing? Don't touch me. You don't want to tell the world who's paying you? Nobody has bothered to dig deep into the rise of her messiahhood until now. Well, folks, she may be Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2019, but do you really think you're getting the entire story from the media party when it comes to Greta Thunberg? Well, we sure don't think so, which is exactly why uh, Kian Bexty went to Sweden to track down Greta and, more importantly, the puppet masters behind Greta. And I can tell you that the results of that is a new little documentary that just premiered earlier today, Greta Inc. You gotta check it out. And with more on this incredible uh, doc is the man behind the documentary himself, Kian Bexty. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Hey, David. So, um, you know, Kian, it, it, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, we We've been led to believe, we've been given a narrative that the whole Greta Thunberg um, saga, which led to just a 15-year-old girl doing a solo uh, climate strike outside her school, somehow sparked a global phenomena culminating with her being named Time Magazine Person of the Year. But when you went over to Sweden, um, first of all, uh, what's very important, I don't want to give too, too many spoilers away because I, I think this is required uh, viewing uh, for our audience. The man behind Greta, the man who supposedly had a chance meeting with her that got the ball rolling, it doesn't seem legit, does it? No, not at all, David. Um, Ingmar Reinsbog is an individual from Sweden. He's an uh, investment specialist in public relations entrepreneur and he's someone who has been trained specifically by Al Gore himself in the United States and this this one day on in August in 2018 uh, he just happened to walk across Greta Thunberg and that day just happened to be the very first day of um, her, her school strike it happened to be the very first few minutes of her school strike actually and his excuse for having walked by her was that he was just dropping off his son at daycare. Well, we looked at where his son went to daycare and we went, uh, we looked at where he worked. And then we looked at the metro routes, understanding that a greenie like him would be taking the metro or, or even cycling. And those routes would mean that he would have to have walked nearly three miles accidentally to actually have coincidentally walked by Credit Thunberg that day and uh, to end up posting that perfectly manicured Facebook post that went viral and was picked up by so many media outlets around the world, it was all too coincidental for us to uh, to believe. Oh, well, you know, Kian, come on. I mean, when I go on a commute, uh, I frequently uh, wander three miles off the point A to point B uh, trajectory, so let's cut him some slack. But you know what? This is very important, I think, because from day one, the, the question I've been asking and the question other cynics and skeptics have been asking is, Where's the money? Where's the beef, as Clara Peller used to say on the old uh, Wendy's commercials? Because 
This whole idea of getting uh, carbon-free uh, catamarans and uh, electric Teslas um, donated and lent to, it just doesn't happen magically overnight. And there's been millions behind our campaign. And um, I, personally, I think this was an ingenious ploy. Make the spokesperson of the climate change shtick a 15-year-old girl with mental health issues because, Kian, that means you are truly an ogre if you dare question her. Is that what you think is the unspoken strategy by having Greta as this person, as a spokesperson in the first place? Oh, I, I don't think that that's the unspoken strategy. I think that's actually the spoken strategy. When they were recruiting, when they were looking to recruit uh, someone to do this, the emails that we've seen show that they were actually looking for a young face so that nobody could uh, nobody could fight back against them. Nobody could ask them tough questions. Uh, I think that the the severe autism was sort of icing on the cake for them, but uh, they were certainly looking uh, planned for for someone Greta's age. And, and you know, Ken. Uh, it's working because just yesterday in Davos, U.S. Treasury Steve, uh, Chief uh, Steve Munchen, uh, he suggested to Greta, rightfully, I should suggest, um, go study economics. And I can tell you when I did my morning commute, I was scanning the talk radio channels and all the leftist, progressive, usual suspects, they were losing their minds over uh, the, the U.S. Treasury Chief's comment about this. How dare you, to quote Greta, how dare you uh, heap any kind of uh, criticism on this little girl? Um, so, Kian, uh, I would suggest this was a brilliantly conceived scam by this PR agency. A scam is a great uh, thing, a great way to uh, call it. We're calling it... Um we're calling it Greta Inc. And I'd suggest that everyone go to GretaInc.ca, not just to see the documentary, but to see the write-up on it uh, and read a little bit more into this scam, as you say, and as I would agree it is. Uh, Greta Thunberg isn't who you think she is. She's an individual who has access to a cabal of eco elites around the world who have propped her up uh, in this preordained fashion to, uh, to launch her into this messiahhood so that nobody could criticize her and so she could start making changes uh, around the world as these eco-elites saw fit, whether it is governments uh, rampantly investing in, in uh, and subsidizing in green energy or, or uh, divesting from fossil fuels, um, or actually seeing tangible electoral outcomes, uh, as we saw in Edmonton in the writing that Credit Thunberg staged her massive political rally in in October, uh, it's it's this very successful campaign. It's a very insidious campaign, uh, and I'm disappointed, sorely disappointed in the international media that it took a year and a half, almost two years, for a documentary to come out, a, a, a large expose like this to come out on someone who is so dangerous uh, to to the world's economy. Oh, 100% key. And I mean, what happened suddenly to investigative journalism by those media outlets that are well healed? Um, but as you said, there are, let's make no mistake, billions of dollars in green energy contracts at stake for some of the people that are behind this Greta Inc. girl. And I, I must say, you know, Kian, um, without giving too much away, I mean, th three of your objectives, of course, was to find out 
if she really was on a strike in the first place, then to look at the entourage, to look at the people that are behind her, and then of course uh, her origin. And you know, I, I got to chuckle at that because there's a, 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 a clip where her father is speaking, and he talks about how um, when she was on this climate strike, it, it, it was like the the origin of Spider-Man when Peter Parker gets bit by a radioactive spider. Somebody came and gave Greta a vegan pad thai meal <laughs> and suddenly she she gained these superpowers of becoming uh, of, of spreading her climate change awareness i mean it's almost comical in a way uh key in what they're trying to uh what they're trying to pull here yeah if anyone takes anything away from this documentary it's don't let your children eat vegan pad thai it's <laughs> really really weird thing for her dad to be sharing on news on a news outlet like the bbc really strange but you're right about the three points of this documentary it's it's to establish whether or not she was on a school strike intent she actually wasn't her school um spoiler alert rather her school allows these kids with severe mental illness to take days off if they're having an episode feeling mentally unwell what have you uh, the only stipulation is that they bring their textbooks and that their parents take them to a museum or some other excursion. It doesn't have to be at school, they just have to have their textbooks with them. And something you'll notice is at Greta's very first school strike, you know that backpack right beside her? Yeah, that was her textbooks that she had to bring because her school was letting her do this. It wasn't some radical, valiant effort marching from the classroom. Greta Thunberg was allowed to be away from school, and she doesn't want you to know that. Absolutely incredible. We have to wrap it here, Kian. But I must say there was a bit of a sinister element to this as well because you had that clip where it's, uh, it shows uh, Greta's parents wearing T-shirts with the Antifa uh, logo on it. And uh, I guess we can only speculate if these thugs are, are behind Greta Inc. as well, which adds a, a whole new layer of uh, complexity to what this little girl really is all about or, or, or more appropriately who she's representing. Kian, it was an excellent piece. It's a must viewing and uh, thank you for joining me here. No problem, David. Thank you. And that was Kian Bexty in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. I know they don't take spousal rape very seriously in Kenya, but I am very glad to know that authorities here in Canada took this deadly seriously and this man was eventually convicted. However, the man, only identified as MR, I hope to protect his wife's identity and not his, has just had his conviction overturned because a judge found that his Swahili to English courtroom interpreter was not proficient enough in English for the man to understand what was happening in the courtroom. Let's go back to that CP article I mentioned. MR requested an interpreter during his 2018 prosecution for sexually assaulting his wife, whom he had married in Kenya. Ontario Court Judge Maven Wong agreed to the request despite opposition from the Crown, which argued MR was sufficiently proficient in English. Now, remember that Crown argument because it will come up later that MR was sufficiently proficient in English because his proficiency in English is what a judge found as evidence that MR's translator wasn't proficient enough. Wow, I think that I need a translator here myself. 
But there you have it, folks. Accused rapist MR is apparently very proficient in English. Nevertheless, for whatever reason, he's more comfortable having his trial conducted in Swahili, but it's been determined that the English to Swahili translation he received from his translator was subpar, and the judge and jury on that issue being Mr. MR himself. Yeah, that's right. The guy who supposedly struggles with English was constantly correcting the interpreter's translation skills pertaining to the English language. Which begs the question, why doesn't MR simply have the whole trial conducted in English to begin with? He seems very well versed in that language, at least to me. And with more on this jaw-dropping story, in any language is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> this, Sheila, this story's crazy, but let's cut to the chase, shall we? This guy is surely gaming the system somehow, no? He absolutely is gaming this system. But I think we need to go back a little bit because this, the whole thing is laughably comical um, on a couple different levels. However, what he's accused of and what he was convicted of based on the evidence heard at trial um, is spousal rape. Um, he and his wife are both from Kenya. I know they don't take spousal rape all that seriously in Kenya. And I'm happy to say that we do here. Um, this woman recently immigrated to Canada and at least for a short time, she was protected by our laws and she's not anymore. Um, but he is gaming the system and I've seen this before. I sat in on the entire um, West Edmonton water park um, molestation trial and it was over two weeks uh, in the courtroom and every single word uttered in the courtroom had to be translated in Arabic to the defendant. And a lot of times court was delayed or we were waiting for an interpreter to come from another courtroom. I mean, it's, it's very inconvenient. It slows down the administration of justice. But what I saw in the hallway was far more annoying. When I was on a break from the court, I saw the defendant conversing with his supporters in English. And yet the entire courtroom was held up by the need for this constant word-for-word -word Arabic translation. And I think in this instance, it was made clear by the Crown from the very beginning that MR was proficient enough in English and, and uh, didn't even need a translator, the Crown argued, at the very beginning. They gave him one anyway um, to avoid a charter challenge, which they ended up with anyway. I think it was an, a game from the entire beginning, just a fail safe in case he was convicted. You know, uh, Sheila, I remember, I remember clearly that is your um, excellent coverage of the West Edmonton Mall water park molestation. And you, you mentioned the word, the supporters of that uh, fellow. Um, these are typically the left-leaning progressives. Suddenly, um, minor girls are, are not the victims, but this potential molester is. And similarly, um, with this fellow, I, I get this vibe of, um, you know, feeling for him by those on the left, those very same people. Oh, this poor guy isn't getting a superb Swahili to English translation service. And yet, where's the sympathy for the wife who alleges that she was raped by this guy? I mean, has, 
what I'm trying to say, Sheila, is like, has the idea of women's rights and girls' rights being eclipsed by, I guess, I don't know, uh, if it's diversity, it's got to be good. Yeah, we're seeing that all the time. Um, and in this particular case, uh, the conviction is overturned, and I don't hear a peep from the women's rights activists. Toronto is a festering hotbed of women's rights activists. Um, and yet none of them have said a word because I think they're trying to figure out where on the totem pole of social justice immigrant women fall because um, they haven't said a word. Um, and this woman deserves justice. Um, this person was convicted um, on a preponderance of evidence. And yet um, a judge used his own his own. Uh, evidence, I guess, MR's evidence that the interpreter wasn't good enough, meaning MR was good enough in English, proficient enough in English to be able to um, understand and tell the court that his translator wasn't good enough. He was constantly correcting the translator to the court. So please tell me, tell me how he needed a translator. And Sheila, this is indeed the crux of the matter. What was stopping the judge from that point, this learned individual on the bench, from saying to Mr. M.R., excuse me, sir, but given the proceedings of the last several minutes, I think you speak and understand English perfectly well. We're going to proceed with this trial in English. What was stopping the judge from applying that kind of common sense? Probably uh, the threat of a charter challenge. It seems to me that the first trial judge, uh, Judge Wong, I believe it was, Mavis Wong, um, found that he was proficient enough in English um, and probably wasn't buying what uh, the defendant was selling. I mean, tell me, why would an accused rapist lie, David? Why would they lie? Um, you know, but it seemed as though the initial trial judge wasn't buying it. They got him a translator just to play along with the game to make sure all their bases were covered. But I think the original trial judge was like, you know what? It's pretty clear. He uh, he understands exactly what's happening here. He speaks good enough English to get through this trial. Um, but the second judge um, just completely overturned everything. However, I don't. I, this is the thing. If I were. This is a, a, a rule that is designed to protect people. Um, for example, if I was accused of something in Quebec, I'd need a translator. Yep. I don't know enough French to navigate the legal system. I really don't. I've avoided learning French all my life. I'm proud of that fact. Um, it's not something I need to learn out here in Alberta. It's just not. Um, so I would need it. Um but it would be pretty clear that I wouldn't understand the translator if the translator were getting it wrong. That should be a pretty good indicator to everybody. But that just didn't happen here at all. No, you're right, Sheila. It's, it's probably the whole uh, charter challenge that they're concerned about. And, you know, I just, just wonder if somebody is going to really game the system to the nth degree, that even though they understand English or French, 
uh, very well. They're going to pick some incredibly obscure language. It's almost a dead language, so there'll be great trouble getting a translator. Or, hey, let's go all in, Sheila. How about somebody says, uh, picks a fake language? Um, I'm immersed in the Star Trek universe. I speak Klingon day to day. I need a Klingon to English translator. Yeah. Hey, why not? Or Esperanto or whatever that other language is called. I mean, there's a reason these rules exist, but there are also criminals willing to abuse them. That is always going to be the case. And we would hope the justice system is able to, you know, see the forest for the trees here. And it just doesn't seem like it happened that way. You see this all the time. You cover these stories all the time where uh, people, uh, French language speakers file human rights complaints, even though they speak perfectly fine English uh, because they didn't receive their services in French. It happens all the time. It's a way to gain the system. It's a way to line their pockets and abuse the human rights system that we have in Canada. Uh, you know, it, it, and it's not just French language speakers. It's everybody now. No, no, you're right. I mean, I actually visited the fellow who lives in Ottawa. <laughs> Him and his wife are professional gamers of the uh, Air Canada uh, flights to make sure that every single word is translated uh, from English to French. And they got a multi-thousand dollar payout because the word seatbelt on their seatbelts was simply in English. And of course, Sheila, there's no way you could fathom what to do with this fabric and metal thing that says seatbelt, yeah. unless it said uh, seatbelt in French. But here's the thing, Sheila, um, moving ahead, how do we fix this? I mean, we can't give people a means test because obviously they would purposely fail it. Um, so in the bigger picture, do you think maybe when it comes to immigration that there should be a stipulation that, okay, you can't speak English or French moving to Canada right now. Um, maybe that's unfair to turn you away. But within a certain amount of time, you must have some kind of working proficiency in one of the official national languages so that we don't have to go through this nonsense uh, in the future. Is that maybe it? Change the immigration rules? Yeah, I mean, there should be some expectation within a reasonable amount of time that new Canadians gain some sort of proficiency in one of Canada's national languages. That's the beauty of Canada. You just don't have to learn English. You could probably just learn French and uh, then at least there's enough French speakers around. Um, I mean, if you work for the government, you have to speak French. So if you need help navigating government services or the courts, you can get through it in French and that's fine. But we don't have an expectation um, that new Canadians learn one of the official languages within a certain amount of time. And I suspect if we asked them to, we would end up with a charter challenge also. Well, well, thank you, Sheila. Great piece. We're all out of time. So I'd just like to say right now, Karpunk Garhoi, which in Klingon means thank you so much and have a good weekend, Sheila, in case you don't have a translator there at your house. No, no, I'm filing a human rights complaint against you, David. This is ridiculous. Have a great weekend. Just bring it, baby. Okay, then. Thank you so much. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in northern Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Sir, is, is are these allegations true about you that you've been? In, yeah.
He can explain them. He's the one making the allegation. Oh, I, I understand that, sir. I'm just... I'm here to maintain order. If he wants to accuse me that I'm with the Iranian government, that's his decision. What is the deal with the police uh, watching what you say here? Uh, actually, I, I've seen this kind of uh, this kind of behavior many times with the police uh, because there was uh, many cases that Iranian allies uh, they were trying to they hit me and they protect them. This was in Canada. This was happening. Canada, yes, in Canada. And when I said no, they hit me. You should arrest them and they said no that's okay uh, you didn't you didn't get hurt you're okay you're okay what is going on i i don't know the police protects these terrorists yeah the police protects them hi miss alasaf david menzies i'm just wondering one of the angles i'm pursuing on this tragedy is that liberal mp masjid johari who used to be one of your colleagues um, he is a supporter of this regime and this has rubbed so many in this community the wrong way. I am wondering, do you have any insight for our viewers, Ms. Alislav, why this man is even still in caucus? Uh, I don't and thank you very much. Have a good evening. But Ms. Alislav, you used to work with him, didn't you? He was a colleague. That's it though, thank you. That's it. Ms. Alislav, this is the most important story in the world right now and that's all you have to say? Now you uh, defected from the Liberal Party to the Conservatives. I guess maybe you have alliances with your uh, old party. Okay, I think we're, we're finished though. Oh, Thank sorry, you. Who are you we're just, I work with Ms. Alice. Oh, okay. Why, so why is she tongue-tied? We're just, thanks. Okay, very good. So Ms. Alislav, do you, do you support the Iranian regime like your old colleague? Oh, sorry, I didn't recognize it. Or are you still under Andrew Shear's gag order? Well, that was an incredible vigil in Richmond Hill, Ontario last Friday for the 57 Canadians who died on Ukrainian Airlines Flight 752. Inside the Performing Arts Centre, the vigil itself was first class. There was barely a dry eye in the house. But there were some interesting sidebar stories regarding this vigil. First, there was the fact that Majid Johari, the Liberal MP for the writing, was a no-show. Then again, maybe that was a prudent decision on Mr. Johari's part, given that this guy actually supports the Iranian regime that took down the jetliner, and the people attending this vigil might have been royally triggered if Majid had shown up. Then there was that cop allegedly spying on people to make sure nobody was saying anything political. Really? <laughs> Weird. And then there was former Liberal, current Conservative Leona Alislav slinking away into the night without commenting on Johari or the biggest scandal in the world right now. And by the way, if anyone is still wondering why Andrew Scheer failed to score on an empty net on a breakaway last October, look no further than Exhibit Alislav. Pathetic and weak. In any event, here's what some of you had to say. Perceiving writes, if I didn't see and hear it, I wouldn't believe I was in Canada. I'm starting to lose respect for our police. Well, perceiving, I'm not one to bash the cops. I've met so many great ones, but you do raise a good point. In recent weeks, various law enforcement officers have come after yours truly and my colleague, Kian Bexty, simply for practicing journalism. That's a disgrace. 
I don't want the police to be the thought police. I just want them to be police classic, enforcing the law while obeying the law as well. Erwell777 writes, Leona Alislav was elected as a liberal, but on September 17, 2018, she crossed the floor to join the Conservative Party, citing alleged disagreements with the Liberal government over their handling of the economy and foreign affairs. On October 21, 2019, she was re-elected as a Conservative. Following the 2019 Canadian federal election, Alislav was appointed as Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, and she has no comment, 18 exclamation marks. Yep, no comment. No comment about a Liberal MP with a checkered history and one who supports the mullahs in Tehran. I wonder if Miss Alislav is actually a tad confused which party she's currently part of these days. How sad. And finally, an email from presumably south of the border, Esta Medley writes, You guys have Jawari, we have Omar. Um, do you want to orchestrate a trade, Esta? Yep, Johari is actually that bad, so I'd actually make that swap in a heartbeat. And hey, I'll even throw in our own Omar, Omar Cotter, two creeps for the price of one. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.